So my dog's namesake means a lot to me, especially this time of year, and I've gotten a lot of crap for it in the past, but I don't really care. Munson is her name, and it comes after the last name of the late, great Larry Munson. Larry Munson was a legendary announcer for the Bulldog football team. He was truly amazing. He bled red and black and would be extremely proud right now. He made calls that became famous like, we just stepped on their face with a hobnail boot and broke their nose to run Lindsay. Lindsay Scott, I broke my chair. I came right through a chair. And the one that resonates the most today is the one against Auburn on November 13th, 1982. As we were hunkering down and about to win, he said, look at the sugar falling out of the sky. As the time ticked off the clock and Georgia was heading back to the Sugar Bowl. Although sugar didn't fall from the sky this past Saturday, rose petals sure as hell covered the ground and that's just as rich you're listening to that's rich welcome to another episode of that's rich where we help you get rich rich in knowledge rich in happiness rich in laughs and just maybe a nugget or two actually makes you money rich i'm matt reiner ceo and co-founder of well evan shoda ceo and co-founder of pinnacle shows and morgan meyer the associate product manager over at well and then we're joined by a special guest today uh, Casey Walsh, he's going to be interviewed here and going to be partaking in all of the uh, commentary that we have. How's everybody doing? Uh, championship weeks behind us. Uh, rose petals for Georgia. Um, poop what, for Auburn. Poop for Auburn and uh, Fiesta, or no. Uh, cotton. Cotton. Cotton for, for Ohio guys. State. Um, all right, so Evan, how are you feeling? You're, you're okay about it, right? It's yeah, not that I, big of a deal. I, no, it is a big deal. I mean, that one hurt a lot, but like I said at the, on the last podcast, whatever team won that game, I was willing to say was the better is the better team. So rightfully so, UGA is better than Auburn. So congratulations to you. That makes me feel so much better today. Now my day is like set. You handled it pretty well. I did. I didn't. I only. I'm I only. With both of you, really. Thank you. See, I only. You I only thought there was going to be fisticuffs in mm, here. Yeah, I was a little worried. I only texted your dad to to give him a little bit of you know ribbing on after he gave you know, passed along that video to me. So so we just touched on this, but I'd like to elaborate on All right, it. Basically, go. I think it's fun to rib between each other when you've got uh, when you're both cheering for uh, rival teams or whatever. What's cool about that is when you play it sort of passive aggressively. What's not cool is the assholes who are just straight up aggressive who are like. Hey man, FUGA, you know, like there's there's nothing funny about that. There's nothing witty about it. Just, like add some humor in, in it, and I'm all for it. Yeah, but every team has that. I mean, every team has that. Uh, those fans that are like the ones that take it over the edge. They're, right. So they're like a little bit too much on it. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think that um, the people who have nothing going for them. Right. Right. I mean, Morgan. So uh, you weren't really that upset about uh, Ohio State being left out. I, I was actually fine with it. I mean, you can't expect to lose to Iowa by 31 and just forget that loss. But more so, I like that they used more than an algorithm. That was the whole point of the playoff. That was the whole point of the committee was that it wasn't just going to be the algorithm that was the BCS. So right. I think I test-wise and human test-wise, Bama came out the better team. So yeah, and it comes in. And, and Bama Bama gets to play like right next to home, and they're already, oh, yeah. they're already favored to win the whole, the whole thing. They're the favorite of everybody. I don't know about that. They are. I mean, just based on odds, yeah. based on the odds right now, they're the favorite. Clemson and Oklahoma are awesome, man. I know. I know. Did yeah. you hear that uh, UGA already tweeted out Baker Mayfield's phone number? Yeah, and then Baker Mayfield responded saying, yeah, we were creative. He said we were creative in the way that we encouraged don't him. Don't piss that guy off. He'll go grab oh, his crotch yeah. again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to grab his Put crotch and throw 55 hey, points. Hey, at least I'll be there to see it this time. I mean, we just spent – we just, uh, like, ridiculously Ooh, spent miles. They were running out of flights. I don't know if they're going to bring more flights on, but 
literally Delta flights out to uh, pass or LA or even John Wayne, which is Orange County, were sold out. Like we got we got a red eye to come back Tuesday night, and there was after we got our seats, one seat left. No I shit, one seat really? left. Those costs. Yeah, and we and I called them, and they're like. Ugh, it's that it's a busy time of year out there, and I'm like, do you know what the hell's going on? You don't even know. Like, they got to put another flight out there because even Southwest is sold out. Well, especially with stops from everywhere. Atlanta, you know, Delta Hub here. I know. know it's gonna be uh, so. In Kirk Herb Street, I saw he tweeted out. Um, he tweeted out that Georgia fans are coming full force, and he challenged Oklahoma fans to meet us out there. But he doesn't know if they're gonna meet us out there. So it could become another home game. We did it in Notre Dame. We'll see if we can do it out there. So anyhow, it was fun. Um, are you excited to play? Um, who do you all play? Do you know who you play? Um, yeah. Uh, 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 UCF. Yeah. Oh, UCF. Oh, yeah, y'all coming right back here. Which is scary. You're coming right back here. Well, Scott Frost, is he coaching the game or no? I have no idea. I don't right. know. No? That's not a game know. you want to lose. That is not a game you want to lose. All right, let's move on. What do we got, Morgan? All right, first up, cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, something we're starting to hear a lot about. So today we'll get into it, talk about what it is. Yeah, so it was in the news recently because the Winklevi were the first people to... Is that, is that Winklevoss's plural? Winklevi? <laughs> yeah. They were the first people to actually be officially declared billionaires from profiting off of Bitcoin. So they put in, yeah, they put in $11 million and then they profited up to, then now it's worth a billion dollars because it's rose when they put it in. It Got to like, double down, baby. Yeah, I mean, it's up 10 times. So I, I think it's BS that the Winklevosses, I mean, they're like, uh, they were upset that, that Mark Zuckerberg built a better idea than they currently had and he wanted to go after that money they wanted to go after that money and they were all upset i mean if you've seen the social network you saw how upset they were um and i know that that's how it was in real life but then you know now they go and they invest in bitcoin because they just want to try to make something you know good again and they just market it's basically they marketed out this thing and they built this r around bitcoin to make their investment uh kind of inflated i i I'm not 100% of a believer in the actual Bitcoin. I'm a, I'm a believer in the technology that's behind Bitcoin. I just don't, I, I don't trust something that I don't understand first, and I don't trust something that uh, I don't really understand who's behind it and how how it's how can be reg, how it can be not regulate. I'm not a big regulation type of person, but how does it even there's got to be somewhat of a regulation, right? Like, So I joke around that I want in on Bitcoin. I mean, the biggest part of it is I'm intrigued because there's so much mystery surrounding Bitcoin and nobody can really truly explain it. Um, we can explain blockchain technology, which is what cryptocurrency is based on. Uh, can you tell us what blo blockchain technology is for those of us that don't know? So the, the best example I had of blockchain technology is taking the game phone or telephone that used to tell someone, one person, you go around a circle, and by the time it got to the last person, they would, um, they would tell you what they thought made it all the way around. Uh, that's the game telephone. Basically, blockchain is the same thing uh, where you're telling one person, and then that, uh, when you get to person number six, that person has to verify what was said with person number five, person number four, person number three, person number two, and person number one before they're able to announce what was actually said. And so there's this kind of layering effect of all of these transactions within Bitcoin, which is what blockchain it's is built on. So it's documenting the transaction of a Bitcoin. And it makes it hard for you to go and steal the technology or hack the technology because um, uh, because of how layered it is and how decentralized it is. Because I could go ask one person who's next to me, but the next person before him could be, we don't even know where that person is. And so asking them would be very difficult. And I'm not an expert in blockchain. Let me just throw that out there. Uh, but this is just what I've heard. Many it, people are saying. It just feels sort of like a smoke and mirrors game though. Like 
There's there the Bitcoin's not actually backed by anything, and it's one of many cryptocurrencies available out there in the market. So there's really no rhyme or reason why one couldn't take off over another one. I, I just don't know. I guess what is going to be what's the end the end goal for Bitcoin people or is that is that Bitcoin becomes the currency of of a country, right? Of the United States. They want everybody of in the United of States. Of a global economy. Yeah, of a global economy. And they, they like it because of the security of it. Uh, you're taking out the middleman, which is a financial institution, um, and which saves you some transaction fees, which saves you some of the BS that's built into the system today. Um, but in theory, we're still building just a new system. We're, we're removing the banks, and then we're putting in these these coders and these out, you know, these people that can solve complex math problems. They're going to be the ones that rule it because they're going to be the ones that determine how many bitcoins we have. So instead of having a Federal Reserve, we have Joe Smith that sits in his parents' basement that's coding uh, all these bitcoins. He's running the economy, which is a tiff. I, I can't buy into that. And nothing against Joe Smith living in his grandma's basement. That's okay. But I, I don't know about that. So the biggest company out there right now where you can purchase a Bitcoin or convert dollars to Bitcoin is Mt. Gox. Didn't they get hacked? They uh, was, it, was it hacked? or I don't remember. There's some controversy around that company. But the funny thing about that is is they're willing to exchange your dollars for a Bitcoin. And it's like, is that, is that not a conflict of interest? They want dollars? Yeah, but what are they going to do with the dollars if to they me, want Bitcoin? To me, that's to just a timing play. Like They're like... I'm not going to be around long enough to see the dollar go extinct. So in the meantime, just give me all your dollars. I'll give you bitcoins. I mean, hey, I, I'm not going to say it because I always think back to that article of like the the where everybody, some of these like large CEOs and large like uh, people in technology were downplaying like Netflix and downplaying all these different technologies like the the cell phones. Those are I, practical though, practical applications. But, but they weren't in the today. time. They weren't in the time. And so I'm not going to say that Bitcoin is not going to be around and it's it's, it's silly. It's silly as it is today, just where it goes to evolve. I'm not going to say that innovation, because innovation, uh, you don't usually see it before uh, or while it's happening. I always go back to the Henry Ford article, right? If Henry Ford, uh, or the quote, Henry Ford was said, hey, what, what do you want? Everybody would said a faster horse, and what did he build? A car? Like, you don't really know what you really want until it's shown to you, and I think that there may be something. Wouldn't that be amazing, though, if during our lifetime we saw the Internet come to life and our monetary system change completely over? Would that not be insane? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that'd be crazy. That'd be crazy. So I I, I think we mentioned this earlier, but this podcast, we're going to admit right now, is more questions than answers because the topics are a bit complex for our simple brains, (laughs) which is fine. But I'd I'd like to now discuss the easily most confusing part about Bitcoin. Mining for Bitcoin. Unbelievably Agreed. difficult. I, I just don't understand this. So nobody here has a clue what it is, In right? my mind, how I'm envisioning it, because I don't know mining at all, how I'm envisioning it is like, it's like one of those, remember those uh, back in school in geometry or trigonometry where you had to like solve a proof and you had to do like show why the angle is like a certain side? Right. Those were the worst. Yeah. And I think it's like one of those like tenfold of those. So the problems. definition of mining a Bitcoin though is solving mathematical equations that are very complex and you get awarded a Bitcoin. You know how awesome it would be is if we went and found like the mathematical equation that was like one plus one equals two, boom, Bitcoin. Like uh-huh. you get a Bitcoin. So, yeah, something like, tells if you it's it was, like, not if it was that, simple. but, but it, it could be. It could be. Okay. Uh, it's not. <laughs> but I do, I, I just, I, I don't understand like, because they define it as solving these mathematical equations, those are applications to encrypt cryptocurrency, right? That's that. The mathematical equations are what they're using to encrypt this Right. This monetary system, right? Yeah. Uh, that's so, the way it sounds. Oh my gosh, we have I'm no gonna stay, clue. I'm going to stay away from. And mine. I'm not. I'm not dogging on you, Morgan. Like I, I have no idea. It's just so really I, my, I understood it until I got to the mining. But portion. the only practical application I can see is they want these problems solved because that helps them encrypt and keep it safe. Like other than that, 
who cares who's solving mathematical All right, equations, but if we, right? if we thought through what mining is, let's just talk through because I, it's I have no idea. It's a guy with a pickaxe just going through, right? Finding and minerals then, in the and ground. when you find the minerals, you take it out and then you can sell it. I mean, in my mind, how I would think about mining for Bitcoin is that if you solve this mathematical equation, then you've dug the hole and you found the coin and now you can go sell the coin or you have it in your pocket that you can utilize. Oh, and boy. so. That's what I'm thinking. I mean, if I think about mining just in general, I mean, that may be too simple, but no, that's, that's good. what I'm assuming. And, and the funny thing is, you know how when you hear something, for no rhyme or reason, just based on your past, something will pop in your head like a mental picture. When I hear, as odd as this is, when I hear mining for Bitcoins, I think of when uh, Mario for N64 came out, and you would go find coins like all around <laughs> the land. Like, that's the mental picture that I have. It's like some guy's... Joe Smith in his mom's basement searching the corners of the internet to try to find bitcoins. And he's I, just driving his little car. He's towed. I like that more. But I like that yeah, more. Me than too. It's, it's easier now to that, understand. There yeah, would be, like that. that would be a great way to mine for bitcoins if you were just like, go I back like to that. the end. If they created a new Mario game, he's like, go find your bitcoins. So you the know? only thing that I would say about people that are like wanting to go and invest in bitcoin, because there's all these companies out there that now allow you to have the wallet like Coinbase and all that type of stuff, is... It's a hot topic right now, which reminds me of like the dot-com bubble and the housing bubble. And when you start seeing a ramp up, basically this this thing has gone from like growing slowly to now being like this hockey stick mile high long uh, type growth. That seems that it's going to be kind of a bubble. So if you really want to get into Bitcoin, maybe wait till it comes back down to like a thousand sure. uh, over time because I think it's grown way fast. And and who one person could be like, whoops, I lost my, I accidentally deleted my Bitcoin. And then that like screws up the whole market. Accidentally price, right? deleted, like there's You not, literally can just delete, yeah. accidentally Currency. press backspace. You can literally backspace and then it's gone. And, but you can do the same thing with a dollar. Like you can have a dollar and then it's on the floor. It's no, gone. you can't. <laughs> it's still there. I don't think you can lose a Bitcoin. You, you definitely can. You can delete the Bitcoin. If you can tell me how you can possess a Bitcoin, then I'll believe you that you can lose it. I don't think you can tell me how you actually possess a Bitcoin. Yeah, you just solve a problem. Okay. Yeah, that's all you got to do. I think I think you're on the right track, though, with innovation. I think it's going to be interesting to see not necessarily Bitcoin, but cryptocurrency and where it goes. Uh, we saw that Venezuela is creating a cryptocurrency backed by oil and gas so that they can get around the federal regulations. Seems trustworthy. Yeah, seems a little sketch to me. But I mean, it's the same thing as I mean, it's it's no less trustworthy than than uh, Bitcoin. I mean, what's Bitcoin backed by? Sam, whatever the guy's name is, that we That's don't even what know I who don't he understand. is. Satoshi Nakamoto was allegedly the creator of Bitcoin, which is an alias. Who's Nobody knows who he is. So I mean, like, it's the same thing. We're people have built up, have bid up, have bid up this uh, price to eleven thousand, and they don't even know where the thing so came from. So what's to stop anyone from creating it? Nothing. There we is. Could, there you is. You want to start one? We could I start one. Just we could start our own cryptocurrency today. Genius slash coder, and you can just create your own currency. We yeah. could absolutely. Yeah. We could. We have, we have That's hate. why there's no regulation around this. That's why I said earlier there's nothing stopping any any other one from catching fire and right. overtaking Bitcoin with with that same token. I mean, it's like why why do certain videos go viral? With that same token, it's like okay, if this takes off, what's to say it's not going to crash tomorrow? So. As cool as that could be, it could also be super detrimental. Here, here's what I want to say out there. So if terrifying. You, if you know Bitcoin and blockchain really well, and you're listening to this podcast, and you're, the listening, and you're, and you're like not, you're, like just, you're, you're just like pounding, right you're pounding the, your head. If the Winklevi are out there, I want you to text us at 770-288-5324. 770-288-5324, because we want you on the show. And We're send us a Bitcoin. Just go ahead and send us one. Yeah, and for for being on the show, we'll you have to out. you have to send us a Bitcoin, and we'll split it three ways. So we each get a third of a Bitcoin, and that's, that's why we allowed you on. Yeah. 
so a couple thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, so did we solve what Bitcoins are yet? We successfully, like I said, we created more questions yeah, I think for everybody. We I don't know. If, I don't know. I don't know if we provided a single answer out there. But I, again, I don't know if that's what people look to us for. No, they just look for us to, to pass the time and traffic. Take, take us into a recurring segment so we can kind of let's move on to back the more out you know. of this. The more you know. The more you, you know. I've got a wild the more so you know. So I'll today. let you go first. Uh, I'll let you or a sec last because I want to save the best for last. Mine's not that great. Mine's not super relevant, but it is. Wild. Do you, you, Morgan? You said you have one. I do have All one right, today. What, oh, ladies first. Okay, so Marissa, our producer, is actually participating in our office-wide Capital One Bowl Mania challenge. No. So she is. She is. So we were going through the teams this morning, and she asked a great question of what is an Aggie. Texas a and Aggies. Ooh. Does anyone know what an Aggie is? Uh, what? Do you know? Yeah, I okay. googled. Oh, you googled it. Yeah. What is an Aggie? Well, I don't know. So Texas A&M is an agricultural college. Damn it! So they're basically, I knew that. They're basically Texas A&M farmers. Right. Oh. But Aggie sounds a little better. But so. isn't uh, aren't all the students in uniform there? Yeah, they don't dress uh, up yeah, like that's farmers. That's what I don't understand. I thought they were like a military-based school. Oh boy. But More questions than answers. Uh, that's the recurring theme. Yeah, here. I'm gonna Aggies. pass it over. I'm gonna wow. pass it over to you guys. What do you got? Matt? All right. So what I got? Um, what you so learn? Because I was reading uh, for the net neutrality thing, and one of the guys that was talking. They let in say the found uh, one of the co-founders of PayPal. Right. I think that everybody that's in Silicon Valley says they're a co-founder of PayPal. So I went and tried to figure out how many actual co-founders of PayPal there are, and they actually have something called the PayPal Mafia. Wait, wasn't uh, Elon Musk part of that? Yeah, wasn't anybody that we know that's still in Silicon Valley? Reed Hoffman, who founded LinkedIn, was part of it. Uh, Max Lefkin, who founded. Uh, I forget what he did, but the, the CEO of Reddit was a part of it. There was 24 people listed on Wikipedia that are deemed to be co-founders or, or founders of PayPal. Is that not absurd? That makes me think like uh, whoever's idea was, they just kept bouncing it off these other people, and they were like, "Yeah, it's a great idea." Like he's a co-founder. Yeah. Like, oh, all right, you're in. Like you're great. Like I mean, 24 co-founders. Think about those types of meetings. All right, guys, what should we do next? With uh, all those egos in one have, room. Yeah, we have to have consensus to have 24 people just going move forward. And they're all throwing their resume around like, hey, listen to me because I did this. Like, well, they haven't done it. They didn't do anything up to that point, really. That PayPal was basically their launching point. 24 co-founders. That's good. Yeah. What do you got? Like I said, this one's out of the blue, but I heard it. I learned it. I looked it up. I was shocked. Did you know that the two guys who created the movie The Matrix, their brothers, are both now women? Wait, what? So they were brothers. Now they're sisters. Wait, what? Does, is that nuts? You know what the Matrix is, right? The yeah, movie. Yeah. Everybody knows what that is. Whether you've seen it or not, you know what the, you know what the Matrix is. Yeah. Two brothers created it. They both had sex changes. They're both women now. Did they do it at the same time, or did they like one do it first and the next go? Like I don't what, know. And then they like met like, up for brunch. He's like, "Yo, yeah. you gotta try this." Yeah, you know? it's like amazing. <laughs> like, what was what was the impetus for that? I don't know. I just know that they're. I just never heard of two brothers that are now two sisters. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Definitely. Oh, hmm. uh, that. Uh, that's I, the more you know. I, wasn't, the, I wasn't, you, the, wasn't the Matrix kind of a crazy movie too? Yeah. So is, it, I, is it really that odd that the the creators of it? But I knew like bringing that up that that people in this room weren't gonna know how to respond to that because I don't I didn't know how to either. I just thought it was amazing. I've never heard of that before. Yeah. That's, I think uh, it's amazing when one person does that because it's just the science behind it is mind boggling. What's ever happened to Caitlyn? Has anybody heard of Caitlyn? What's she doing? Caitlyn. Yeah. Jenner. Jenner. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of, I mean, she she like led the charge in it. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, uh, hanging out with Donald Trump, I guess. <laughs> They're buddies, aren't they? Aren't they, they pals? They are. No, they enough, were. Yeah. I don't know if Caitlyn and Donald Trump were, but 
Bruce and Donald were. Okay. No, Caitlin um, and Don. That was Caitlin a w- and the Don. They were. That they was were. a that was a wild one. Dude, that it? was that made me wide. I didn't mean to throw mind. you off there too hard, but that one threw me off. Oh, even crazier. Do you know where I heard that? <laughs> yes, I heard Family Guy. <laughs> yeah, Family Stewie Guy. Or, uh, yeah, they were. Just, and then yeah. did you go verify that it was right? Yep. Yep. Good. Good That's for you. All right, Evan, you want to take this over and, and introduce the uh, our interview segment? Uh, interview segment number two, but this is a first because it's the first that, that we're all three. We all three went to high school together. Right. All right, so this is our second interview here on That's Rich. Um, and basically, Matt and I just wanted to paint a picture for people out there about uh, different success stories about people who started their own companies or um, businesses that, that are out there that people may not have thought of. Um, just basically success stories, what makes them successful, um, how do they become an entrepreneur and things like that? So today, joining us on the show, we have the uh, owner and founder of Stand Up Guys Junk Removal. Is that correct, Casey? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Casey Walsh. So we know each other because we went to high school together. Um, not super close in high school. Championship, so- championship softball team. Though. This is true. Yeah, he did ask me to play in a softball team. I played one year. We took the ship. So that's kind was of was it only bit. one year? I only uh, was it. I think I only played one season with you. But I yeah. just remember holding up the trophy. Right. It was. It was. Uh, I mean, you left on top. That was dreams good. do that come was true. Dreams come true. So uh, yeah, we know each other from high school. Um, the three of us all went to high school together. But I wanted to bring Casey in here because I thought he had kind of a unique story. And when I was coming up with some questions to ask you, I realized I don't. I'm not totally clear on your story either. So yeah, I sent you some of these. I hope you're prepared for them. I just wanted to kind of get into. Can you give us a background about exactly uh, what Stand Up Guys is? Well, we are basically just a full-service junk removal company. We were founded here in Atlanta, and we are uh, all across—not all across, but we're in—we're in five states across the southeast now, um, and actually growing pretty fast. We plan to be in probably seven to ten in the next few years. Um, but we just—it's as simple as somebody wants to get rid of, say, a couch from their house. They call us. We come in. We pick it up. We remove it for them. Okay. Um, and the cool thing about it is we live in a society now where people just consume and consume and consume and consume. So eventually it's got to go somewhere. Right. And it's hard for your average person to get rid of a, an old refrigerator or clean out the, the, the clutter from the garage from all the crap they've bought over the last few years. And so it's, it's a service where, you know, we basically, like I said, full service. We come in and we help people from beginning to the end. And it's amazing how far it's come from the beginning and how consistent it is because people continually have stuff. And I, I only assume it's going gonna, it's gonna to get bigger and more people, especially as our generation gets older because we just consume and consume and we buy and we, we click and Amazon sends us a package and you just got more stuff in your play in your house and then eventually you got to make room for more of it. Especially as Bitcoin becomes a yeah, yeah, currency, right? right? Now that's an interesting point and I, I, and I want to go back to that because um, I, I do want to back up even farther and, and figure out the roots of your business. But mm-hmm. with that being said, it's so true. Our generation in particular, like our, our parents and our grandparents, something broke, they would try to fix it. If something breaks now, I immediately go to Amazon and see how and you buy more I price it. it out for the new yeah. one. Like, why do I want to fix something? Well, I mean, the, like the we get we deal with a lot of um, I guess you'd say the greatest generation, mm-hmm. um, even though they are kind of tailing off at this point. But the ones that live through the depression, right? They never throw anything away. Right. They right. do try and fix a lot, but they still contain. Like they still consume. Like that's just part of. And who their we garage are. be filled with broken stuff. 
Oh my god. Yeah. yeah. People they say like, you know, we'll clean out an old man's house unfortunately after he dies and his son wants us to come in and clean it out and you just have like piles of little broken pieces of lumber yeah. or you know just things that you don't need i had i had this guy that helped me with my house like do some work and and something was broken it wasn't going to be able to be fixed in the house and he was like can i have it and i'm like yeah dude and like his truck had all this random just junk in it yeah but they loved it like they take all the stuff that has no usage whatsoever my my question i don't want to go off topic real quick but um where where do you take all this stuff like what do you do with all of it i mean it just kind of depends it there's like a big part of what we sell to our customers and what we try and do is we try and donate and recycle as much as we can but in the end to be completely frank people just throw away shit yep. like they don't throw away things that are worth anything um even though there's nothing wrong with that so a lot of it just has to be disposed of um mm-hmm. at the dump it, at the dump or a yeah. national forest yeah or at yeah the dump. exactly yeah <laughs> Uh, so your company hauls away junk. Here's my second question. How often do you get tetanus shots? <laughs> okay, that was a fake question. That was a fake question. Uh, give me the nuts and bolts of how you started the company. Where did the idea come from? Oh, when when did it start? How old were you? Okay, so when it first started, I was 16. Okay. Um, so I, my, my father's a contractor. Uh, he remodels homes and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And uh, on the weekends and certain times when I had free time, I guess I was a junior in high school at the time, I would work with him and uh, just to make extra money. And um, one of my, you know, the, he, I hated swinging a hammer. I didn't like physically working that much. So one of the things I did like to do, cause he had a truck and a trailer, is if there had to be a load of stuff hauled to the dump, I was like, I'll do it. You'd volunteer you know, do, yeah. And then one <laughs> so you day, hacked the system. Yeah, exactly. Window time is what he used to call it. Um, <laughs> But uh, just one day, he had a customer, and she was like, hey, will you throw away this couch, too? And I looked at him, and I was like, I, you know. And he's like, yeah, uh, 50 bucks. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll help you out. And it was just like, boom. Like, right then I was like, because she's had no problems. She was like, oh, cool. And I'm thinking, I could have just made 50 whole dollars <laughs> right there. Just not, you know. And I so I, I kind of just took it from there, and I would use his truck and his trailer on the weekends and stuff. And I was doing it in high school, but it was – it was a real small operation, and <clears throat> I honestly quit right after high school. I was, you know, I had personal things. I, I just kind of was a lost at that time, and I did odd jobs. I was valeting cars down here in Atlanta for years, um, and it's actually a funny story. I was trying to kind of, there was, after some time, and like all my friends were off at college, and I'm just like, here, I was an East Cobb, just literally wherever we grew up. And uh, I was contemplating, like, what am I going to do? And this is a true story. I was in Casadores. In, 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 great spot. Yes, great, great spot. Great spot. Um, and I was with a few buddies of mine. I think it was, like, winter break. They were back from college. Um, and we're leaving. And I swear to God, I'm walking out. And this, this little Indian man with his family sitting at a booth, he reaches out and he grabs my arm. And he pulls me in. And I'm thinking, like, what is this guy doing? Um, and he goes, hey, I was... I was looking at you from across the room and I wanted to tell you something. And he gets out his receipt and he writes down the name of a book and he hands it to me. And he's like, this book will change your life. This is a true story. And I just kind of put it in my pocket and I couldn't stop thinking about it. And the next day I went and I buy the book. And it's like, I didn't read at that time. I probably hadn't read a book <laughs> since high school. And I barely read in high school. I mean, so, and it was a book called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Yeah. And I... So about that time, I was like right around 20 years old. 
I sat down and I like was, I was like, I'm gonna read this book because this was the, it was so bizarre how he went about it that I was intrigued. And I sat down and I, I read the book from, I probably read about half of it. It wasn't the most exciting book, but like it, like uh, something went off and I thought, this is what I need to do. I'm gonna work for myself no matter what it is. And that's when I just decided I'm just gonna do what I did before because I knew I could make money doing it. And I thought, I'll just turn it into this, you know, in my mind, I was like, I'm gonna take over the world. Even if it's one pile of junk at a time, it's just like, that's to me, because that, that book like resonated with me and that's what I wanted to do. And I literally took a second job working, like right then, it was within days of reading that book, I took a second job working with my uncle during the days and uh, valeting cars at night and I saved up about $4,000. And I bought a 1983 Chevy pickup truck. Vroom, uh, vroom. Yes. I got ripped off. You shouldn't pay four thousand dollars for that truck. <laughs> um, but and I borrowed my dad's old trailer, and I, I mean, I like just went to work. I had no idea what I was doing, and I kept the valet job at the time just because I had to pay bills. Um, but I would go into like I'd go to like there was a sign place down the road in Woodstock, and I would go to their dumpster, and I would at night and I'd go in their dumpster and I'd rip off all the signs that they were throwing away. I'd take the signs home and I'd spray paint the back of them black and I'd flip them over and I'd handwrite junk removal with my phone number and I'd put them out at like three in the morning when I was done valeting. So it's like I was just from the start like very motivated, did no idea how I was gonna do it but just like figuring it out and slowly but surely it just kind of evolved from there. I mean for a long time it was just me in a pickup truck but right. you know that's really the nuts and bolts of where it started. So uh, it's easy to infer that you were you've you're more successful now than you thought you'd be at the beginning did you did you envision being where you're at right now well tell us yeah, how many it, employees do you have right now uh like 45 to 55 something like that okay um how many trucks in your fleet uh 16 to 20 and are you franchised in other no or how's privately that? owned okay um so i mean i like i said when like when i first started i was convinced that i was going to be jeff bezos you know mm -hmm. i mean it, i was going to be so super successful it did not you know i was going to start stand-up guys and i was like oh eventually i'll just like i'll have a landscaping company through here too and i'll own a mexican restaurant and i'll I don't know. Just like I thought I was just going to do everything, right. um, which obviously that's a bad idea. Don't go down that road. Um, just stick with one niche and stay there. And get um, really good at it. Yes, that's one thing I did learn along the way. Um, but, you know, I thought that and I believed it, but it's hard to, you know, I felt it. Like I felt like I was going to be successful. And if I kept my, like, my mind to it, it was going to work. Mm -hmm. But it's one thing to believe it and it's another thing to see it. You know, right. it, it, when you're Come three years when you're three years in and you're driving, a, you know, you're waking up at six in the morning every morning and working with your hands and answering the phones while you're driving a stick shift in a truck that doesn't have AC in the middle of July in Atlanta. It's hard to think I'm going to be successful. Yeah, you, you yeah. kind of have a little bit of doubt that creeps in there. Yeah, I mean, and then so the timeline. I mean, there's probably two, probably three, four years in, I started. You know, I sat back and I, th I thought, like, if I'm actually going to do what I set out to do, I need to start figuring this out. Um, and the first thing I realized was in any business, when you're first starting, you kind of have to wear all the hats. You have to do everything. Right. Um, so I thought, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take off one hat at a time and give it to somebody else. And it was like the smallest little things that I did. And it's just like I've kept that same 
mantra from from then on that was probably six years ago so my first thing was i took i was like i'm just gonna stop driving i'll sit in the passenger seat but i'll let somebody else drive and i'm still answering the phones doing the sales booking the jobs bidding the jobs picking up the stuff with you know i'm actually doing the work um so first somebody else is driving then i'm thinking okay now i gotta let somebody else bid the job so then i step off the truck and that was one of the first big things I did I let somebody else go out and do the work um, and that was hard because at first I, I wake up in the morning I had no idea what to do it myself mm-hmm. that, that's the thing like that entrepreneurs don't realize in the beginning is like when you're trying to grow there's times when you don't know what to do and you have to fill your time but those are the most sometimes the most critical times because that's when you can focus big picture right um, but then you know and then I there was a t- and then there was a time that I thought, okay, I'm going to stop doing sales because I literally suck at it. I just, I just didn't have the personality for it to come in and just sell anybody on anything. So I went out and I convinced a friend of mine who went to Pope Ryan. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys know him. He, mm-hmm. uh, I convinced him to quit his job and come work for me and do sales, and and help me build something. And you know, that, at the time, that was a huge risk because I took out my personal savings out of the bank and I had about like, I don't even know if I ever told him, I had about like two, three months worth of salary I could give him before it was, I'd go belly up. Mm-hmm. Um, but thank God it worked out. But those were things, you know, like then I took that hat off and then eventually I was like, I'll let somebody else answer the phones and control the guys. And like every time you take a step back in any business, it gives you an opportunity to, to grow and to look at it overall. So it was around 2013 or so, I, I think I started to realize like the actual potential that the business had. So that's an interesting business model. And the beauty of that is, is since you've done literally everything in the company, you don't have to take any shit from any of your employees. Like, hey, man, I used to do all this on my own. Yeah. But not only can they look to you and trust you and say he knows what he's talking about when he asked me to do a task or when he assigns a task to me. I mean, you've done it all before. Yeah, and so I, I'm, I'm a huge believer in that part of the business. Oh yeah, I mean, definitely. Like, and I, I'm a believer in don't ever ask somebody to do something that you're not willing to do yourself. Right. Um, that's like that's what I feel like being a leader is all about. Absolutely. And managing is just telling you do this, you do that, you do this. And it's like, if they don't think that you're willing to do it too, people get, de- they get demotivated really quickly. You took a play out of Marcus Lemonis' book right there. Yeah, there you go. The, uh, I'll talk to me about, so now y'all are expanding. I, I'd, I'd be interested on two things. Mm-hmm. One is as y'all are, because the, the way that you built it is, is amazing. And then but now as you expand, what are you identifying? Where are you looking? Why are you expanding where you are expanding? One, like the cities we're picking? Yeah, this, and then two, let's go back to the yeah. good old days. I mean, because I see the signs all the time, like the old signs when they had like the, the spray black spray paint with like junk removal. Yeah. I mean, how many calls were you getting a day? Not a lot. Okay. I mean, and that's, and that's I, why I was wondering I, how many people call on this Yeah, signs. I mean, it's, well, it's a, it's, it was a hard way to get started because I bootstrapped this entire thing. I never took a dime from anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, I I used the money that I made on the truck to invest back into the business. Um, but the thing is, when people call off a crap sign, they expect like they don't expect to pay a lot. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I you know, like I can walk up. My guys can walk. They can pull up right now in our big decorated trucks with their uniform after somebody booked off the website, and they'll walk up and they'll say something. You know, they'll be like, "That's we'll take this entire thing for four hundred dollars." And people will be like, "Awesome, let's do it." I would have told those same people $75 and they would have been like, come on, kid, like, yeah. give me a break. Right. That's not worth $75. Perception. Yes, it's all perception. I was a you know, 22-year-old kid. I, I used to wear jeans and a, and a white T-shirt. I didn't even know what, you know, like there was so much that I didn't know how to, what I was doing. And I yeah. spray painted stand-up guys on the side of my trailer that I had. <laughs> that was my advertising. 
That's um, amazing. So geographically, to answer Matt's question, what made you get involved in uh, the other cities that you So in? I look at, um, in the beginning, so the first thing I ever did was we went to Tampa. That was our first expansion. No rhyme or reason. Like literally no, it was just, I thought, you know, maybe Florida has a lot of big cities. I'll just head south and that's where we'll, you know, you know we'll plan our feet for our second location. Um, me and an employee uh, who also went to Pope, Christian, he, he told me one day, he's like, I'm willing to do whatever to stay in this company and go long term. And I was like, would you move? And he said, yeah. So it wasn't three months after that. I bought a truck and we packed everything that we had as individuals into that truck and just drove to Florida. Like I didn't know anybody. I didn't know anything. And we just started that way. Um, but since then, I've really looked at the demographics to try and duplicate places like North Atlanta. You want like saturated suburbs are really where we do very well. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a lot of fast-growing cities here in the southeast, so we've been we've been lucky to have yeah. that. Um, and there's still a lot more to tap into just right here. Um, mm -hmm. Like Raleigh, North Carolina is a good example because it's not a big city, but it's got a very saturated suburban population. And when we got there, that that took off faster than any other place we had mm -hmm. that we've started. And it's the smallest city that we're in, but it had the fastest startup. Right. Interesting. So yeah. ha hauling junk doesn't seem like the most proprietary business in the world, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs think they have to come up with the most uh, unique idea ever. Mm -hmm. So why have you not shied away from that? What separates you from your competition? Well, I mean, first and foremost, like when I look at the competition that we have, the one thing that, that we consistently have that other people don't have is our employees. Um, I have... I have tried real hard and successfully over the years hired good people. Um, we've we've gone through, you know, we we try we do so many things to to obtain, maintain, and motivate the employees that we have because in the end that's the face of your business. Right. Um, I think that employees, and this is just my opinion. I think employees are the most important part of any business. I think they're more important than a customer. I think they're more important than anything else because it's a personnel. Yes, a happy employee is going to make ten happy customers, and that's just the way it is. You want you need motivated, good individuals, and I've had I've been fortunate enough to have uh, had a close group of people around me in the beginning that were willing to just kind of do whatever I was going to throw at the wall, right. and we have just like refined and just figured out systems along the way um, that have made us different. Um, and another thing that really makes us stand out is the fact that we're a privately owned company that's as big as we are. Um, to my knowledge, there's not another company in my field that's like that. They're all franchises. And not that there's anything wrong with the franchise model, but you don't always get the same thing from one place to the next. Um, with ours, you can go from Dallas to Tampa to Nashville, and you're gonna get the exact same experience I mean, to the T, yeah. from the way that your job is booked, the way that the guys talk to you, the way that they, they bid the job, the way that, you know, the everything. It's hard to keep culture when you start franchising it exactly. out. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And if that's if employees are your number one thing, then it's going to be harder and harder to to keep that yeah. employee base good. And I like that, that culture is a big thing. Like what you said, like mm -hmm. culture to me is a big thing. Um, we've like we've wanted a family aspect since the beginning, and that's I think something that's really helped us along the way. Like I've lost a lot of good guys over the years. I mean, that's just part of business. It's I've like had, it's like Vietnam. There you go. Right. I have. I mean, I've had a lot of good people that you know. Not everybody sticks around, but 
through the years you, you, you find good people and just them being there helps you build that culture. And even once they're gone, that culture is still there because yeah. you can't keep everybody. Yeah, you just hope that, that, that everybody that comes in elevates the company to a place that when they leave, it's better off and that's easier for you to bring someone in to kind of build the culture to the next level. Exactly. If you can do that, then you're building something great. Yep. And that's I think, I think um, with a franchise model, I think it's, I think it's hard. It's yep. hard to, you know, you can get a spectacular branch or franchise in one place and then the next is run by someone that just doesn't know what they're doing and it's just garbage and and you're that reflects your company name and it's like for us we try and have consistency across the board right yeah so this uh this next question here is actually the most important one that i that i thought I let's wrap up it up here. with this one huh yeah we will for sure um so I think a lot of entrepreneurs are kind of disillusioned with wanting to start the uh, super sexy business or being the next, you know, and then they throw out whatever you want, Uber, being the next, whatever. Yeah. So no offense to you, but hauling junk away is not necessarily the most sexy business you can come up with out there. What what piece of advice would you give to somebody who, you know, wants to start a business, but like I said, they're disillusioned with what they consider cool? Yeah, um, I would, I you know, I actually have a lot of things that I would say, um, but I think the most important thing is don't get caught up in what everyone else is going to think. Just get caught up in wanting to be successful. Um, There's a lot of things that go into that because working for yourself is not like any, it's not like working for other people. You you are, the buck stops with you. Um, And I would say first and foremost, if you're going to, if you want to be an entrepreneur, the first thing you need to do is make the decision to do it and then jump all in. Don't have a plan B, don't have a fallout plan, like none of that. Like you need to jump all in and figure out how to make it on your own that way. Because if you dip your toe in the water, you're never gonna fully commit. Mm-hmm. Um, the, another big thing, and you'll hear it all the time, is just hard work. You, you have to know how to work hard and not work hard in the sense where it's like, you hear people like, I know how to work hard, I work 60 hour weeks and this and that. And it's, it more goes back to what I was saying earlier. Like you have to learn how to work hard when no one is telling you what to do. You have no clue of what you're doing is going to pay off. And you honestly sometimes work hard towards things that you don't even know like what direction you're headed in. You're just literally just trying to figure something out. But so much of that takes hard work without direction. Right. The, the reason I looked over, I was looking over at the team. We've had this conversation before. I think that that's the hardest thing when you take a position of being an entrepreneur or you take a, a new position or you take on new responsibilities, uh, it everybody it seems like everybody knows what they're doing, especially mm-hmm. in the entrepreneur world, because all you hear about are the successful stories, but you don't hear about the story where they started and the ups and downs and everything of that nature. Yeah. Um, and everybody looks like they have it all together and they know exactly what they're doing. But in reality, when you're starting something that you've never done before and that there is no playbook to, yeah. everybody's not gonna know anything what's going on and you just have to continue to push forward and. The person that's able to get out there quicker uh, and just go and start doing, like you're saying, just mm-hmm. go full in and just go and do. Mm-hmm. You're going to learn a lot more than that person that's sitting back there trying to like make the perfect plan to be an entrepreneur. And then they're going to see all this stuff, but you're going to learn it that they're not going to know about until they get out there even with that action. perfect plan. Yeah, it just takes uh, action. And, it's, and, it's, and not everybody knows what they're doing, and you just got to continue just to go mm-hmm. and do and learn that way, which yeah. I think is so key. There's, um, there's another aspect I think of working for yourself that's extremely important Um, because we use the word success a lot people are like I want to be successful I want to be successful in my humble opinion I believe that success is unique to every individual they're like to you success might be like I want to build a business to where I can stay home with my family 
Um, another guy could say, "My success to me is a, a digit in my bank account. Right. Success to another person could be blow off a stripper. It, That's like, huge. It's, it's, it's really, there's so many different things. So I think taking the time in evaluating yourself and deciding what success is to you and then building towards that is monumental because happiness is never on the other end of achievement. It just really isn't. So you have to realize that you need to be going towards where you want and not where someone else goes or just like some idea of success that you haven't even thought of yet. Right. That's huge. I don't think mm -hmm. enough people stop and sit down and actually identify that. That's no. a great point, man. They just go towards, quote, success without really knowing what that is. You sounded really smart in that last question, so I think that's a great place to I stop. Yeah, let's but keep you, let's keep us, you at, the, at, the, at the peak. Tell us uh, how people can find your business. Uh, we... Like I said earlier, we are um, in we are in all of Tampa Bay, Florida. We are in all of Metro Atlanta, Georgia. We're in Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina, Nashville, Tennessee, and Dallas, Texas. Uh, you can find us at StandUpGuys.biz. And one other thing that I didn't mention is we do we also uh, rent dumpsters. That's another part of our service that we do. So for the more of like the do-it-yourselfer out there, we have a dumpster rental service as well. You can so. send that straight to Knoxville for the volunteers right now, there right? You go. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out, Justin. <laughs> All right, Casey. Thanks for joining us, man. Thanks, I appreciate thanks it. For Dude, that was awesome. Right. Yeah. That was, I never knew that story. That's an awesome story, man. Good yeah. for you. Good Thank luck, you. man. Appreciate it. Um, all right, we got asking for a friend. Uh, do you not have an asking for a friend? I, I don't have an asking for a you friend. Do? Oh, Casey has an asking for a friend, so we're gonna actually, let Casey stay on. I was thinking about this as you first started, because I I was listening to this the other. I was listening to you guys the other day, and I was thinking about a question that someone else asked me. It's not. It's, <laughs> right, it's right. not. Of course, it's not. It's not you. Why? It might sound stupid, but why? For your friend. Yes. He's new. He asked me this, and I'm, you know, I, I know the answer, but you guys need to tell me. Why is pants always plural? Pants. Because there's two legs. Well, there's two. But you don't say shirts. shirts. You don't say there's shirts. There's two arms, arms on, your, on shirts. your shirt. But we don't say shirts, and you just can't say pant without it being plural. Yeah. yeah. You're that's not like, nice hey, give me that pant. pant. Yeah. It's a nice pair of pants. But you do, say that's a nice, that's, you do say that's a nice shirt. It's not nice shirts. Your friend's an idiot. I don't know. Pantalones. I told him he's an idiot. I yeah. didn't think that's answer, but, yeah. It's because it's got two legs. There's no reason to have but that But there's answer. two arms. I know. I hear that. That's a I, that's a good one. But maybe we could start a trend Trying and just be like, hey, nice pant. Well, no, because nice they're, because it's a pair. It's a great... So for it to be a pair, it's got to be plural. Why, Why is, it, is a it a pair? It's only one It's only one pant. You guys don't buy pants in two? <laughs> is that just the me? Bundle, the bundled approach? Right. The old bundle pan approach. I like that one. Casey coming strong with it. That's asking a lot better. For a friend. That's a lot better than mine. That's a lot better than mine. So this is an asking for a friend who hasn't done any holiday shopping for his wife whatsoever, and he was like asking me. Huge. Uh, he was asking me like, you know, what do I need to do for this? And he wanted to know how many uh, how many gifts do you need to buy for your significant other? For you, eight. Uh, for all right, let's go with we'll go we'll we'll, we'll, we'll divide this question up for the Jew, for the Jewish population out there listening it's eight, eight crazy nights and for the uh, Christian population out there listening it's how many oh I think it's a monetary value it's a monetary amount one more than last year one oh that's a good one see that's where I messed up when I was dating I always bought my girlfriend when I first bought her the first gift like the best gift and I can never outdo it and my I, boyfriend it, did that too and five after, years after, later the best gift was still first it's, see that that's a hard yeah. thing to live up to and that's why I always broke up with them Matt before had the second so gift. many first dates <laughs> I always broke up with them before I, I always had I had a lot of girlfriends that didn't last long the trick is to set the bar low I know and I really screwed that up I was like I'm going to set the bar high I'm going to woo her uh, but so you say I have to get Hillary eight gifts then? I mean, no, this is for my I, other Jewish a, friend. That, was a, Jewish that friend. was a joke, but I think it's a monetary value. A monetary value? I would what, agree. What's yeah. a fair monetary value then? 
What, what's the monetary value that you're using? It depends on what you've done up until now. What? It depends what you've done up I've until done now, zero. right? I've done zero. We just started gifting. No, no, again. I mean in previous years. We just yeah. it's zero. You we start, we start, just started gifting. Perfect. You are at the best place to be. So I'm gonna get her. I'm gonna get her a book. Chili, right. Chili's gift card. Chili's gift card. <laughs> Or Applebee's. I like Applebee's. You can get like uh, two entrees and an app for 20 bucks. Oh, man. All right. Monetary I, value. Wait, are you, you're telling me you never exchanged gifts with Hillary? Well, we stopped. Because like, what's the point? When you're married, it's like it's coming out. It's, I'm, her gift that she buys me is still coming out of our bank account. The gift that I buy her is coming out of our bank account. So why, what's the point? That was the theory. But then I realized what the point was. Why don't you I just skip the, the holiday season altogether? Just, yeah, we're, we're Grinches. To hell we're with Grinches. birthdays. To hell with all of it. Just don't acknowledge <laughs> no, anything. But, you're, but the thing is, is that what you, you don't realize, there's a, va- there's a value. Like, I always degrade, like, downgrade, downplay the value of, like, giving of gifts and, like, opening of gifts. There's just, like, even if you know what it is, there's there's a value of it. So we brought it back into our relationship. And our relationship hasn't been stronger. It hasn't been stronger since we brought gifts back in. <laughs> <laughs> for your friend or for you? <laughs> for our friend. Right. My friend. He, he tells me, we go out to dinner every night, and he tells me all about it. all about so tight with Hillary. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, what do we got on the rundown All next? Right. Next up is net neutrality. We talked a little bit about this last week and promised that we would bring it back with more answers. So hopefully we can do that today. We had to bring it back up. Okay. That, that segment was rough. It was. Time. It was. And I'm not going to say it's going to be that much smoother, but maybe a little bit. We're a little more well-versed on the topic here. Um, so uh, net neutrality is in place as we speak. What that does is keep the, the ISPs from charging – uh, big companies like Google or Facebook significantly more to fast track their content. ISPs, Everybody, can I just chime in? ISPs meaning like uh, Internet, Comcast. Internet and, service and, providers. Yep, okay, thank you. So we're on the same page so far, right? Yep. But what I'm coming to find out is that the big companies like Google and Facebook want to keep net neutrality in place, which coming from a PR standpoint makes them seem good on the surface, right? Yeah, yeah. But if they're realistically taking up most of that bandwidth, I mean, they're coming out the winners if net neutrality stays in place, right? Right. Well, well, here's the thing because I, when I was looking on Facebook and and I see all these people like posting these articles like net neutrality, like go speak up, sign this petition, right? Um, and like all of them were saying, you know, keep net neutrality. I didn't realize, and we were talking about this earlier. I didn't realize that net neutrality was non-existent at the beginning of the internet from like the '90s up until 2015. There was nothing called net neutrality, and the internet was great. We had some great innovations, and we just started getting net neutrality in 2015 to now, and now they're trying to take it away. So there is like a precedent of what it was like without net neutrality, which means that the change shouldn't be that difficult. And going to your point about like the Apple and the Googles and the Netflix of the world, these companies are making drastically more on that on the value on the value they're reaping from that internet or that that broadband than the broadband companies themselves. The broadband gross margins those companies gross margins are like one sixth to one eighth of that of like the Googles and the Apples of the world which seems a little bit messed up right I mean they're providing them the platform to go and make all this money and they're struggling to make really any money they're making money don't get me wrong like these guys are getting paid just fine but they're struggling to make that same type of money is that I mean is that not an issue in your mind um a little bit I mean I I don't know. It just seems like it wasn't broke before. Why are we trying to fix it? But now it's a. But we already debate. we already broke it. We already broke it We're by idiots, putting aren't we? net neutrality in. Why do we have to complicate everything? Here, here's the simplest way of, in my mind of thinking of net neutrality. And go, we're going to post this Wikipedia article. I know it's Wikipedia, and they're going to ask you for a three dollar donation because well, I was fifteen on it. would be better. I was on it the other day because they're saying, well, if you give, if everybody that's reading this article gives me a three dollar donation, we'll be able to continue to run. I was like, okay, but. That wiki article is actually really good because it gave proponents on the both sides of it. And basically what the argument comes down to is do you want free markets or do you want government regulation? 
if you want government regulation, then you want net neutrality there because government is regulating that industry of, of what's going on. And if you want free markets, then you want you're opposing net neutrality because then it's giving it to the free markets to where these broadband companies can say, I'm going to charge you because of this and I'm going to charge you because of this. Um, and there is an issue at that because if they charge Netflix for using it, right, then Netflix is probably going to up their prices to us because they want to keep the same margins, which means that then we'll have uh, it'll be higher cost there, but you're hoping that the Comcast cost will go down because they're getting paid on another side. So there, it's a whole, it's, it's not as easy and cut and dry as all of our friends on Facebook make it sound out to be. Right. And uh, I hope Netflix is not listening. For the record, I'd pay 25 bucks a month for Netflix. <laughs> yeah. To create mean, original content at your fingertips. Cable. Oh, yeah. it's the I'm dropping cable. I'm going YouTube TV, by the I'm way. I'm going to try Hulu TV. Okay. Hulu. Yeah, I'm open to recommendations. We can report on that next time, yeah. but uh, that's that's the plan for the show to household. But no, I think it's super complex also, but there's sort of a dichotomy there between, I don't, I don't, I don't know if that's the exact word. We'll I go with it. We'll go with it. Like, do you want government regulation? Well, government regulation means to level the playing field, which seems sort of opposing and, I don't know, does it not? Like, yeah, well, here... More, yeah. more government regulation means less le- less rules around the, the internet. I don't, I don't know. Well, I mean, the thing is, is then it turns into a utility, and then it comes like you're paying your, like your power bill, and you always have this like this other fee which goes to the FCC and everything of that nature. But here's the thing about the internet, because one of the arguments for the net neutrality camp is that it's going to keep people's voices from being heard, right? So uh, minorities and, and, and anything of that nature, it's going to keep them because, of, because then the, the, internet, the ISPs can control it. I don't see the, 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 the potential in that. I mean, and that, you can call me naive, uh, but we voted in the first ever African-American president when we were did not have net neutrality going on. So that push came through the internet when you didn't have to have it controlled. So you can't say that net neutrality is going to allow for that that voice to go through. Uh, and you guys, you, people can be laughing, but it's the true start statement is that they're saying that that minorities' voices are, are voices of being able to go and and have these like um, uh, like the what, what, what we talked about the other day. Um, fuck, I just forgot the word. Um, the Arab Springs. You go and have the Arab Springs, and those things aren't going to happen because of net neutrality not being into effect and, and people being able to create the fast and the slow lane. So all of that information, if a government doesn't want it to be there, then they can go tell the Comcast of the world to slow down the access to that information. That's what they're talking about with fast versus slow lane and the ability of having those uh, those voices be heard because they would have to pay to play. Right. And I, I think it's bullshit because before net neutrality, there's a lot of things that happen because of the internet in terms of people's voices being heard. Is there a chance this is just another Y2K? We're all worried about what if, what if, what if, and no one will be able to tell the difference before or after. Uh, I mean, we've already had it. There's already been a before. Okay. Well, I and, and you didn't, you didn't experience anything. Right. So uh, that's all I'm going to say. That's all, we, that's all anybody should say. You got nothing else? You I got think, anything it's, else, I think it's time for your love letter. You got anything else, Morgan? I agree. I think it's time for, for Dear a Jeff. love letter? All right. Let's see if I can get in the mood for, for a little love letter. All right. Dear Jeff. Uh, Jeff, I hope you are cheerful this holiday season. I noticed uh, that you have a little investing sidearm business uh, and that you put some of your own family money into innovative companies. And I love that. I'm all for it. Uh, And why wouldn't you? You're right there near the heart of innovation in Silicon Valley and the Pacific Northwest. 
Although some other areas you're looking for HQ2 have great startup scenes like Austin and New York and Chicago, I think Atlanta is one, of, one that is already well suited and will benefit you the most from the Amazon effect. But more importantly, it provides you opportunities for Bezos Expeditions, which is your arm, uh, investing arm, and for Amazon itself. Atlanta is the heart of fintech innovation. They call us Transaction Alley. Payments is our jam down here, and the startup scene in fintech is booming. As you continue to look to take over the world, you'll want to continuously innovate in payments and ultimately into fintech and other avenues. Yeah, consumer products are great, but valuations are huge. What about the secret of the South, which isn't going to be a secret much longer? Bring HQ2 here so you benefit from it in multiple ways. And trust me, the ecosystem here is thirsty for more innovative investors and will flourish with Amazon in its backyard. Welcome to the ATL, Mr. Jeff. Great job. Payments Alley, Transaction Alley, whatever you want to call that. it. You didn't know that? No. It's a big thing here. Dropping knowledge. Big thing here. All right. Thanks to our guest, Casey Walsh. That's another episode of That's Rich. Mm-hmm.